Lord our God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to empower me to preach your word freely and faithfully to your people. May you bless this sermon and grant to your people our joyful hearts and willing hearts to receive your word and new insight into the word of God. Renew our wills to go out from here to serve you more faithfully and move us, Lord, to greater love for you and for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us read uh, first Revelation 7, 9 through 17. Verse 9 through 17. And then I'll come back to Revelation 6, 9 through 17. Revelation 7, 9 through 17. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And now let us go to the previous chapter. Um, 9 through 17. When he opened, that is Jesus, opened this fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe 
and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig tree as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? This is the word of God. Congregation of our Lord and Savior, have you ever wondered what it will be like around God's glorious throne? We should think about that more, by the way. Well, John had a rare opportunity to have a peek into the throne room of God. And as you saw with me, there are myriads of angels and cherubim. That is like creatures, animal-like creatures with wings guarding God's throne. And 24 elders representing the old and the new covenant church. And then a sea of people, a crowd that no one could number. Shouting, shouting, salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Here is no place for boredom, children. This is excitement unparalleled. But excitement wrapped in awe and in holy adoration and tears of joy. Imagine, this is the climax of all the ages upon which we have been waiting so long. For centuries, God's people cried out, read the Psalms. How long, Lord? How long? And now it's all over. And we don't have to live by faith anymore. It's all in full sight right before our eyes. The last martyr has been slain. The gospel has reached the ends of the earth. But you have noticed there, I'm sure, there are none among the human beings but those clothed in white robes. As far as the eye can see, White robes everywhere. Do you have a white robe? We are already given those robes here on earth, as we will see. 
Do you know there's only one way to get a white robe? Only one person to get it from. And that is Jesus. He alone give us those white robes. And then they have to be kept spotless. They have to be kept clean. We will come to that. But just now, remember, you remember that parable of the wedding garment? And the guy that had no wedding garment? And he couldn't enter the banquet? That shows you how relevant this, these white robes are. But nonetheless, lots can be said about these white robes and those wearing the white robes here around the throne in Revelation 7. But one thing unites them all. If you notice what we have read, they did not travel the easy road through life by God's grace. They came out of the great tribulation. And you can translate that the great or the last, the great persecution of the last days. The time before the, between the Lord's first and second coming. The persecution that will increase until he comes again. They did not avoid that. Some have died because of it. Some have suffered in other ways. Some were just discriminated against. But they came out of the great tribulation. And so why were they persecuted? Were they troublemakers? Obnoxious kind of people? Weird? Is that why? No, not at all. It's because they followed the Lamb. We see that all through Revelation. Remember, it was the Lamb who was hated, says John, for no reason. And now they are hated for no reason. It was the Lamb who was slain for them. And some of them ended up being slain. So why did they follow the Lamb? Why did they not follow the easy way through life? Because it was the Lamb who redeemed them who loved them, who gave his life for them. How could they not follow him? It is the Lamb who gave them those spotless white robes in exchange for their filthy, dirty clothes that they wore. It was the Lamb's blood that kept those robes so spotless white. You can actually trace the story of the robe right through the Bible from Joseph's colorful robe of pride to Jesus' purple robe of shame. Not to forget the, the brand new beautiful robe that the prodigal got from his loving father. There's a lot of symbolism in these robes. And even more so as we re arrive in Revelation. Which is why we must place closer, pay close, close attention for none of us want to miss out on, on the white robe. We don't want to be turned away at the great feast. We don't, don't want to hear those dreadful words. I don't know you. Did you notice the contrast between those who are in the presence of God led to everlasting fountains of water and how God shines on them and 
dry away every tear from their eyes. And then the others who call on the mountains to fall upon them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. What a contrast that is. That's why these robes are so crucial. And we find them all over Revelation, and especially here in chapters 6 and 7. So let me go back to the previous chapter we've read, Revelation 6, as we will actually focus more on the persecuted church. We read there in Revelation 6, Verse 9, when Jesus opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? Then they were each given a white robe, and told to rest for a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. I'm sure your pastor preached through Revelation in this church sometime. But if you can't remember those sermons, just go and read chapter 5, 6, 7 again. The opening of the seals. What happens here when the fifth seal is opened is that we are transported away from a chaotic world. The world that we see around us on the cable news or wherever. The world of trouble and wars and inflation and poverty and famine. And then suddenly, when the fifth seal is open, we stand before the altar in the temple of God in heaven. And there under the altar, John saw the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne. What is that? This is a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a creepy scene. Sorry to hear, use these words, but John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. Now, John is using apocalyptic language, so we must be careful not to take everything 100% literally, of course. He's trying to make a point, and he wants us to get the point. And what is the point? The point is this, that they have been slain. When the fifth seal is opened, we are shown the souls of those who have been slain. And I'm told by the scholars the word here means butchered. In the world, they were mowed down like grass. But now here are they, 
And listen why they were slain. Because of the word of God. They love the Bible. They love the word of God. And because of their testimony, they had a story to tell of the Lord and his grace, also in their own lives. That is why. During the rise of the Islamic State, some of you will recall that, there was one event that gripped the whole world when those 21 Christians were slain on a beach, the beach in Libya, with the guys clad in black and those Christians clad in orange. Before every one of them were slain, they had an opportunity to deny Jesus. But each one of them said, each one of them said before they died, Yeshua. Yeshua. And then they reached the last one who was not from Egypt, but from Ghana. The, uh, those 20 were Arabs, and this last one was an African. What is he going to say? And he said, they're all dead now next to him, right? Their God is my God. What a confession. Their God is my God. And now as we stand here and look at the souls that have been slain, they cry out, how long? And this is an ancient cry. This morning in our own church we, we read Psalm 79. I think, I think uh, Revelation is quoting Psalm 79. You know, if you read it, uh, you hear the words that we've just read in Revelation. Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They've defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. Then verse 5, How long, O Lord, how long will you be angry forever? Verse 11, let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of your neighbors, of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you. And so the cry goes up, how long, Lord? This is not a cry for brute revenge. Especially since the Lord Jesus, we were taught not to give room to that in our hearts. Our catechism says it is the root of murder just to desire revenge. 
We could say even that is the mark of the beast. Christians bear a different mark. They can even bless their persecutors. They can even ask for grace to love them. But what are these people crying out for? Lord, when will it ever stop? How long? Now, maybe we don't think of that so often. But let me tell you, there are places in the world where people do pray this. How long? And so we read there in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. It's not that they did not have white robes. No, these white robes, I think, signify vindication, their purity. These are robes of victory and vindication. Remember how they were viewed on earth. They were just treated as scum, as a bunch of losers. Now their final vindication is foreshadowed. And the Lord says, just wait a little while until the last martyr is slain. Now this was written at the end of the first century. Until the last is slain. For 19 centuries it kept on. And we've reached a point in history where the persecution of Christians is probably at its highest point ever. In terms of numbers at least. In the last two centuries. It's easy to get discouraged. Especially when you live so far away from it. And you just hear the reports. Not that those who live close by are discouraged. By God's grace I have the privilege to sometimes go. To a place where there is persecution. In the remote west of Uganda. I never get the impression those people are discouraged they're joyful they're in a sense fearless not that they never have fear I I stood there I saw the blood-soaked soil where 23 schoolgirls were slain by Islamic terrorists the other day I spoke with a young man from Afghanistan Christian. He heard I was from South Africa. He said, yeah, I knew South Africans in Kabul. And then my memory went back. Yeah. This young man was baptized by Werner Grunewald. Him and his wife and children worked in Kabul for 12 years, undercover missionaries led apparently, according to this young man, many thousands to Jesus. And then, on a given day in 2014, the Taliban took them out, except for Mrs. Grunewald, who was a doctor at the hospital, working while it happened. And here is a, a convert in front of me. The blood of the martyrs is seed. I... 
I had tears in my eyes. This was the fifth seal that was opened. We see now why Jesus alone was worthy to open the seals. We know why he was worthy. He was slain for us. You remember how John cried, there's no one. And then he stepped forward to take the scroll out of the lamb, out of the hands of God. And he began to open the seals one after the other. In those days, you could not look into a, an important document. You cannot see the contents of it. Maybe it's a will and testament until the seals have been broken. And there's only one now that can do that. That is the, the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lion of Judah. And he opens these seals one after the other. The first Four seals tell us of four horsemen of the apocalypse. Dreadful they are as they go out through the earth. The first is a white horse bent on conquest. Power at any cost. Imperial power. The second is a fiery red one. He takes away peace from the earth. People start killing one another. The third is a black horse. He brings food scarcity, famine and inflation. The fourth is a pale horse. He brings death. 25% 25 of the earth's population is killed by either sword, famine or plague. If you have not been living under a rock, you might have wondered the last while, is this it? Are the four horsemen out? But that's what we, we see in the news, in the world. But what we don't see and what we're never told is those that are slain for the word of their testimony. And do you know, it's often when the four horsemen are out, in the midst of chaos and wars and economical deprivation and famine, that the beast fancies his chances, that he goes after them. When the focus is away, right? It's now focused on this place or that place where there is war and turmoil. It was in the midst of the First World War that the Ottoman Empire of Turkey killed 1.5 million Armenian Christians. That is, people from the Armenian people group. In the midst of the mayhem of the First World War. Who cares? We read about everything that goes wrong. Food scarcity. Power struggles. Wars. And what have you. But who cares about the voice of the martyrs? Nobody it seems. No. 
the fifth seal is opened. God cares for them. If ever you want to know how precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints, look at the opening of the fifth seal. And so when the Lamb opened it, I saw under the altar. You remember, the altar was where the blood was poured out. The, the blood of the sacrificial animal after the priest or high priest went into the temple and he came out with the blood that remained and he poured it out at the foot of the altar. I think maybe this image, this image of the souls at the foot of the altar tells us that their lives were given as a sacrifice to Jesus. As if the Lord looks upon their death as an acceptable sacrifice. You remember how Paul said, I am ready to be poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. No, their deaths were not senseless, not at all. They were poured out for Jesus, their lives. It was sacrificed for Him. Because they loved Him. And they knew. The church. Please remember this children. The church cannot be found. Or thrive anywhere. Unless some are willing to die Somewhere. Your own history, church history, will tell you that. The church cannot be found and thrive anywhere unless some are willing to die somewhere. That's why Paul wrote, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. If Paul said, No, that's enough, I'm not going to suffer anymore. Yeah? What about those that have to be saved through your testimony while you're being slain on your back 39 stripes by the Jews so that some in the synagogues can hear? You see, they poured out their lives for Jesus. And so each one of them received a white robe and are told to wait a little longer. It will not go on forever. How long? At this point, 630 million Christians live under high risk. We have some Christians in our church who fled persecution, whether older people who fled it from uh, Soviet Union or current Christians, a few. Let me give you a tiny fraction of what happened since Revelation was written and today. Just a brief overview. When the Roman Emperor Diocletian demanded that Christians should sacrifice to the Roman gods, a Christian community of about 40 women stood firm, devoting themselves to Christ. So Diocletian ordered his soldiers to 
arrest them in the desert where they lived. But one of them, Demiana, stepped forward and said, As for me, I worship my Lord and Savior. In his name I will live and die forever. She was agonizingly tortured and beheaded. When a Roman legion of 6,000 Christian soldiers were told one day that they should kill some Christians in Switzerland for no reason but to celebrate a victory, they refused. And every one of these 6,000 Christian soldiers were executed on the spot. When in the year 1159, the Berber Caliph Abd al-Mumin conquered Tunis, Tunisia. He let all the Muslims live but massacred all the Jews and Christians. When in March 2026 the Turkmen army of Sultan Jalal told a hundred thousand Christians in Georgia to denounce their faith. They refused. And very soon they were all dead and the Mctavi River flowed with blood. When in 1342 a fanatical king from Xinjiang, India, ordered all Christians to convert to Islam, they refused. And he ordered seven missionaries to be beheaded and many more Christians to be killed. When in 1873 a ban on Christianity in Japan was lifted, tens of thousands had already died. When in 1478... Haider Ali, a sultan in southern India, ordered 60,000 defeated Christians on a 200-mile death march. 20,000 of them died, and another 25,000 were unaccounted for. In Korea, since the early 1800s, many Catholic Christians were beheaded long before Protestants arrived. In China... In the Boxer Rebellion in 1900, an estimated 32,000 Christians were killed. Then again, under Mao Zedong, many more during the Cultural Revolution. In Turkey, as I've told you, over a period of about 50 years, to solve the so-called Armenian problem, Up to three million Christians were killed of Armenian, Assyrian, Syriac, and Greek origin. In Russia, during the time of communism, 12 to 20 million Christians died in the Soviet Union. In our own times, in 2015 yet, the other day, Gunmen stormed Garissa University in Kenya and told the hostages, if you deny Christ, you could leave. 145 Christians died. On Easter Sunday 2019, terrorists killed 270 Christians celebrating our Lord's resurrection in Sri Lanka. On Christmas Day 2021, 35 Christians were shot and burned in Buddhist Myanmar. It goes on. I've given you a fraction. Since I've been involved in the work I'm doing in Africa, sometimes I receive pictures that you don't want to see. I actually can't look at it. I wipe it out. 
in Nigeria from 2020 to 2023, 1,400 Christians have died at the hands of Boko Haram. Just this year in the Sahel, where the savannah meets the desert, there were over 1,600 Islamic attacks on Christian churches, villages, and so forth. 1,600. It will not go on forever. It will not. Have you seen the sixth seal? What it's all about? When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars fell from the sky. The sky vanished like a scroll, and every mountain and island was removed. And then, those guys who ordered the shots, who built the armies, who ran the economies, who raised the interest rates. Now, it's their turn. Did you see there? They cry out, rocks and mountains cover us from the wrath of God and from the Lamb. And with them all those who didn't know the Lord and didn't serve him. And so my, re my purpose today is not to discourage you but to alert you so that you will never forget the plight of the persecuted church. And that you will realize how good we've had it and we should never take it for granted. And thank God for our liberty to worship Jesus. It's God's good providence that protected us so far. He used powerful Christian nations for a very long time. And literally two big oceans and a big ice block ahead above us to protect us. Did you realize that? But how long until it comes here? And we will be like deer in the headlights. And so, my dear beloved, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution to save you and to avenge the blood of his saints. Don't be discouraged. Your brothers and sisters in those parts of the world are not discouraged. I've met many Muslim background believers. They're so thankful. They're delivered from bondage. What should we do? We must make it part of our daily walk to remember those in prison as if we are there chained with them. Two, 
We should tell ourselves not to be surprised about this fiery ordeal, even if it should come here, as though it's something strange. No, it's not something strange. The Lord is testing our faith. Three, let us love each other deeply and not be ashamed of our Lord. And four, pour yourself into doing good and serving the needs of the saints. And five, Bid farewell to a life of comfort and ease. And six, work while it is day. Night comes when no one can do anything. And seven, be patient in suffering, rejoice in hope, and pray without ceasing. For very soon, the seventh seal will be opened. And Jesus will come on the white horse with the armies of heaven and with his robe dipped in blood. Very soon he will come and he will lead you to fountains of living water and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and from those who suffered for him. And when it says in Revelation 21, Look, behold, God is coming down to earth. The temple of God is coming down. And we are as a bride prepared for her husband. And, and he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more suffering. No more pain. It of course refers to all these martyrs. It will come to an end. And also your suffering will come to an end. And therefore, make sure you have a white robe that you personally have received the Lord Jesus, turned from your sin, begged him for forgiveness, and that you keep those robes white. Wash them through repentance in the blood of the Lamb. Do not let the temptations of this world allow you to soil them and never to clean them. Listen what the Lord wrote to Sardis. You have a few people there who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will be like them. Dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Then I heard the sound of a great multitude saying, The marriage supper of the Lord has come. Hallelujah! Our Lord God Almighty reigns. He does. The seventh seal will soon be opened. He will come to judge the world and to make all things brilliantly new. Praise his name and be comforted in the gospel. Let us pray.
Oh God and Father, we cannot but hear your word and the stories of your people without realizing how good we've had it for so long. Now we pray that you will make us strong. That none of us will look upon this and say, oh, I seek the easy life. That we will boldly and proudly and courageously live for Jesus. That we will confess the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That we will live for you in this world without compromise. That we will remember our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And, O oh God, that we will know that very soon we shall see you face to face. And that when we die, as Jesus said so many times, we sleep, we fall into the arms of Jesus to be with the Lord forever, to be in His presence, and to await the final consummation. Death cannot hurt us, and therefore they cannot hurt us. You have taken away their weapons. Of deception and fear. We have nothing to fear. For nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Jesus Christ. Our Lord. If we live. By that. Maxim. By that. Motto. Who can. Who can come between you and us. Who can harm us? No one. Hear us in your Son's blessed name, O Father, and grant us your Spirit always. Amen.